If you thought the last race weekend was action-packed, well, the days that followed took the cake. This is ESPN's Formula One podcast, and on today's episode, I'm back with Nathan Lawrence, and along with the usual, we'll get an update on Roman Grosjean's recovery, find out who'll race in his place for this weekend, and react to the news that George Russell will race for Mercedes this weekend after Lewis Hamilton tested positive for COVID-19. Right, and so as I said um, in our little intro, that just when you thought that the weekend was going to be all the action, the days that have followed have popped up even more breaking news stories. So we're going to jump right into those now and pay them off. But the most important thing, though, that we definitely want to know after the horrifying incident on the weekend involving Roman Grosjean is pretty much um, an update on him. And Lawrence, the latest we know is that he's, he's out of hospital, which is obviously the news that everyone wanted to hear. That's right. It's really good news. Um, we got the announcement through from Haas earlier today that at 10.30 on Wednesday morning, he was allowed to leave hospital. Um, he's going to continue with some private treatment. Uh, so, you know, a private doctor working on those burns that he got on the back of his hands. Um, but otherwise, he seems to be in good health. And quite remarkably, he's talking about maybe coming back for Abu Dhabi. That's what he wants to do. Obviously, it will depend on how those burns get on. Um, but that's what he wants to do. And that isn't that remarkable that someone who's been through that, who says that they face death, essentially, you know, they spent 28 seconds in an inferno in a Formula One car, wants to get back in one and drive again in Abu Dhabi. So I kind of, I really hope he gets to do it because I think it will be as much an element of closure for him as well uh, on that accident. So uh, we'll see how it goes, but um, we're not making any predictions on that yet. Uh, it's still too early to do so. But um, best of luck to Roman. And at the moment, he's staying in Bahrain, which presumably is because he is seriously considering going straight on to Abu Dhabi to, to race in, in that race. Yeah, and on that, um, spoke to Gunther Steiner in a press conference this morning. And um, he, he was saying that, you know, the thing the team wants at this point is for, is for Roman to have that chance to just go out Formula One on his own terms, really. Because that's the, the last thing they want is his last moment in F1 or last moment in with a team as well, because you know, he's leaving at the end of the season to be climbing out of that wreckage. And um, they're going to make a decision the day after this weekend's race. So next Monday, we should know. And Gunther kept stressing, we'll, we'll know as soon as we know that Roman definitely can't race. So as Lawrence said, I think Roman is going full speed out to, to try and get back for that race. And um, it would take something, I guess, pretty serious or you know, a continuation of him just recovering to, to knock him out of that final race. But yeah, I, I'd love to see him do it. I think it's the most excited I've been for a driver to come back for a you know for a one off <laughs> what will be a one off race because I think it would be such a nice story even if he finished towards the back which you'd expect him to do I think everybody's kind of realised that it would just be such a nice story so yeah um, here's wishing him all the best and um, I- I'm sure he'll find it really weird watching on the sidelines because it's been a long time since we've had an F1 race without Roman Grosjean or Lewis Hamilton which um, it's been even longer since then so that's I guess takes us onto a, a topic in a in a little bit but it's going to be strange not having two of those guys on the grid I, I think. 2020 just keeps throwing up those surprises, man. I, just when you thought that, okay, we're in the clear, we're in the home stretch, you know, it's Christmas time. Surely things have to start going our way. But um, just I suppose even with the Roman Grosjean thing, it's been absolutely brilliant, I think, to see just how I think the world has kind of paid attention at least to to Formula One too. There's people I know that I've seen posting that I didn't even know were watching Formula One or for certain reasons they'll only watch like say when Lewis wins or whatever, which is literally always. But it's been brilliant to see how... Um, I guess the attention that he's getting and the 
attention the the developments that the sports has done um in terms of with the halo and the safety and and just kind of bringing everyone on the same page so it's been really really uh good to see for that and amazing it's i guess after speaking you know with juan manuel correa as much as we have and knowing how he would not bat an eyelash to get back into a car and race like now if he could i suppose it doesn't even surprise me how grosjean is like ready to jump back out there but um it's truly remarkable what they do i suppose when you really love something that much that's better than any other relationship i've had but we move on, right? <laughs> we move on. So as Nate has hinted at it, there was some more breaking news that kind of, I guess, sent a lot of jaws dropping. Um, that was yesterday, Tuesday. That was Lewis Hamilton testing positive for COVID-19. He will be out for the next two races. And then, I mean, as Nate said, I can't imagine looking at a race weekend with, with no Lewis Hamilton. I mean, it's it's definitely going to be a weird sight to see, but undoubtedly that's going to be... Um, a huge chance, a huge opportunity for somebody else to get into that wonderful Mercedes car. We'll get to that in a bit, but gentlemen, um, some more details, I suppose, on this news. Of course, we wish Lewis a, a speedy recovery. I know he's probably one of the fittest, healthiest men on the planet, so we definitely expect him to bounce back quick. But still, it's um, a bit scary to hear that news. It is, and it's a reminder of uh, how COVID is still still with us, unfortunately. And uh, it doesn't matter how hard you try, and Lewis... Uh, trust me, tries very hard to uh, protect himself from it, and has done throughout the year. It can, it can still, uh, you can still get it, and uh, and that's what happened. So he tested on Monday, positive. Uh, that followed three tests the previous week uh, over the course of the week that had all been negative. So he actually took a test just before he went and won the Bahrain Grand Prix, or on that afternoon, and uh, and that came back negative. So uh, it's strange. And he he woke up on Monday morning, had some symptoms. At that point, he was informed that one of his contacts before he'd travelled to Bahrain had also tested positive. So he did the right thing and sought out a test. And um, that test came back positive, got retested because, you know, uh, that's the way the world at the moment. You, you want to double check with these things. And it came back positive again. So uh, from that point onwards, it's 10 days isolation for Lewis, which means he could come back in Abu Dhabi. But crucially, he will have to uh, return a negative test. And um, yeah, as you say, I think really, first and foremost, above everything else, let's hope that uh, he makes a good recovery, doesn't have anything uh, more than just the mild symptoms he has now, and um, is able to return a negative test as soon as possible. But yeah, it's um, in a week when we thought we'd seen almost everything in Formula One, uh, we get another another shock. I'm quite afraid to look at my emails at the moment in case something new comes right? through. But um, but yeah, so that's, that's the situation it's in, and... Uh, yeah, it's um, it's unfortunate for Lewis, but of course, as we know, as we've talked about many times, he has already wrapped up the title, so no danger that he uh, isn't going to be a seven-time world champion because of this. Ever efficient. As I was saying, it doesn't look like Lewis Hamilton ever takes many days off, given all the the projects his name is attached to. So maybe this was, um, you know, nature's way of saying, take a little break. <laughs> and just for some context on how long it's been since we didn't have Lewis Hamilton in a race, the last time was... Michael Schumacher's last race of his first stint in Formula 1, the 2006 Brazilian Grand Prix, the day Fernando Alonso won his second and final championship. So that's how long it's been since there's been an F1 race where Lewis hasn't taken part in it, which is insane because I can remember 
you know, I remember that. And I remember at the time Lewis was kind of, you know, like the exciting guy coming through. So yeah, it just also shows you how long he's been around for. Um, but yeah, hopefully he gets, hopefully he gets well soon and he can kind of finish off the season in Abu Dhabi because he's been so good this year. He kind of deserves to, to kind of put an exclamation point on this season with a, with a, with a final uh, uh, appearance, at least I think. You knew it would have to be something big to definitely keep him up. Cause I just remember even seeing, I forgot which season it was, um, of the Netflix Drive to Survive series. And when Lewis was actually sick um, or had a cold or a bad cold at that time and he was burning up with a fever, but he was still there in team meetings and ready to just go out there where the rest of us would have been like, right, sick day for me, thanks. But um, you definitely know it's going to be, It's I suppose that's just a testament to the stat that Nate just said that it's been a very long time since we haven't seen Roman Grosjean as a race weekend and now Lewis Hamilton and the fact that we've gotten both us just Peak 2020, but obviously we wish both of them a super, super speedy recovery because the sport is so much better when they're involved. Like I did tease, that does open up a huge question and a huge seat. And I mean, it's probably the biggest seat because you're going to try and fill Lewis Hamilton's shoes in that Mercedes car in 2020. I mean, that sent tongues wagging. And I wish I could show you guys visuals on this podcast because I woke up this morning to a text message from Nate in all capital letters and all it said was George (laughs) (laughs) I've never seen Nate like so happy for George Russell he's probably happier than his own mother was but massive opportunity guys for George Russell and and kind of the opportunity that we feel that he deserves to be in a car that is just as good or you know at least goes toe-to-toe with his talent and potential, right? Yeah, unbelievable opportunity. And, you know, we've been talking all, all, all season on this pod about how close he's been to getting that first point. And now, you fl- I mean, it's literally a complete reversal of that is that now he's got the championship-winning car at his disposal uh, at a you know at a circuit that it should be very strong on. Um, it's, it's a remarkable opportunity and not one that we thought he'd really have a chance of until at least 2022 because we knew next year he'd be staying with Williams. Um, so yeah, huge opportunity for him. It's going to be fascinating to see how he goes. Obviously, um, I, I think we saw earlier this year with you know Nico Hulkenberg coming in. It's not simple just to jump into a different car. I know Hulkenberg hadn't had any F1 experience that season, but um, it's, there's still going to be some adjusting, I think, for for George to do. But yeah, a huge opportunity for him, and um, I think it's deserved, like you mentioned, because he has been so close to that all year, and he's been so impressive. And it's always easy to kind of overlook what someone's doing when they're in the backmarking car. Um, and yeah, you know, it puts him against Valtteri Bottas as well, which is in itself is a fascinating kind of storyline to watch this season. So really, you know, obviously it's horrible circumstances that it had to happen. But for, for, for George Ross, it's a great opportunity for him to, I suppose, just basically say like, you know, here's what I can do and really make a statement because it's not going to be something he's going to have a chance to do that often over the next kind of year and a half so yeah really huge opportunity for him I'm really excited to see how he does and I think you know it could be an amazing story going into the off season if he's you know if he finishes strongly or if he wins the race imagine that um we'll have plenty to talk about on next week's pod definitely and just super. just off a bit of background as well George uh Russell is managed by Mercedes so uh he's Kind of the best way to look at it is probably that he's on loan to Williams. He does have a full Williams contract that extends to next year. Uh, Mercedes did look at whether it was possible uh, to get him out of that Williams contract for next year. But Williams, at the time, run by the Williams family, Claire Williams, before it was bought by a company called Doriton Capital, said no. So he, he he's staying at Williams next year. But he's 
in line to move up to Mercedes in the coming years. So this is such a great opportunity. And the problem that Mercedes have faced in recent years, and it's not really a problem, it's actually a very nice problem to have, is that if you've got a winning formula, why change it? So it's always quite difficult for them to take a punt on a young driver. Um, one of the reasons they've stuck with Valtteri Bottas for so long is because that team works incredibly well. Lewis and Valtteri work very well together. Valtteri works incredibly well with the engineers. So why change it if you're winning championships? But this kind of freak, very rare uh, turn of events has given them the opportunity to put George in that car and get an assessment on him. Um, they do know quite a lot about George already. He's tested for Mercedes a number of times, um, including at Bahrain last year. I think I'm right in saying. But um, he's, yeah, so he's a fairly regular with the engineering team. Um, and I think he very much sees his future at Mercedes long term. So he's out to impress. But um, what they don't have is a direct comparison between Valtteri and George going forward. And this is what they'll be given. I think they know absolutely everything about Valtteri. They've been with him for four years. But with George, this is such a great opportunity to get that insight of how he performs, the small little things he does that maybe even Lewis Hamilton doesn't do that gives him an edge in a certain area. I'm not saying he's as complete as Lewis. Clearly, he's not. He's a much younger driver. But there may be little learnings they can get from that as well. So um, they really trust in George's ability and uh, they really do think he's a top driver. Otherwise, they wouldn't have funded so much of his junior career as well. So it's um, it's a great opportunity for Mercedes as well, despite, obviously, the unfortunate circumstances which they would never have wished for. But, you know, you get what you're given. And, and with that, they, they've managed to carve this uh, very interesting uh, race coming up, potentially two races. And there's a lot of really fascinating things to to kind of watch for, because like, like Lawrence said, there's a lot of things about George that Mercedes won't know. One thing I was thinking of this morning was we don't know... I mean, George Russell is no stranger to having a fast car and being at the front, but he's not gone wheel to wheel, for example, with Max Verstappen yet. He's not done stuff like that. And I remember the first time Charles Leclerc did that properly, he got barged out of the way in Austria last year on the last lap and lost his victory. So things like that, as good as you are and as, as impressive as you can be at the back of the grid, there's no there's no like-for-like like experience there of, of actually racing other drivers for victories. So from that perspective alone, the experience he'll get from it is going to be massive. Um, and it'll be fascinating to see if he is in a fight with Max, just how he copes with that. Because so often, I suppose, any battles he's been having, he's been the much slower car because he's always qualified quite highly out of position. Um, and suddenly he'll be in a car that can, can fight for those positions. So just little things like that. that I'm, I'm just yeah, fascinated to see how they, how they kind of play out in real time during a race. And I suppose with all that said now, I mean, I've gone from being a little more excited now to to slightly nervous for George now, because this feels like probably the biggest test that he will ever get, as if just, you know, going in Lewis Hamilton's car is not, you know, uh, intimidating enough. But then with all that said, I suppose my next question for you guys would just be, how would you want to see George approach this race? And I know if we ask any driver that, they would tell you it doesn't matter what car, they could be in a toy car and they just have... Number one, they have first place on their mind. It doesn't matter. Like, that's what they go. Nobody's saying, oh, gee, I'll aim for second. But with all those, you know, different moving parts and what this could mean for George or what it should mean, how would you want to see him approach this race from a perspective of, I've got this awesome car. I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to go for win. Or do you just kind of try and manage your expectations and just, just get some points, as you said? Um, I think you're right in the drivers will always look to finish as best they can in the machinery they've got. If you're in a Mercedes, 
that means winning the race. And let's not forget Max Verstappen, his first race for Red Bull. So the first time he got a shot at it, he won the race. So that is what George will hope to recreate if he possibly can. But um, perhaps more realistically, and I think with a wider view of everything, he knows it's also a great opportunity to learn stuff um, and to interact with those engineers, get information from them, because stuff that he learns in a race environment, even though he has sat in on engineering meetings before when he's been in his Mercedes roles before, and uh, he does have a good impression of how that team works, it's never been centred around him. So uh, he will be a great opportunity for him to learn off them and probably take a few little uh, secrets back to Williams for next year. Um, I don't expect he's, you know, he's going to tell them how to build a Mercedes, but he might learn something in the way that he goes about his race weekend uh, from basically the way that Lewis does. And remember, he's working with uh, Lewis's engineers. So Peter Bonington and Marcus Dudley, um, who have managed to take Lewis or engineered Lewis towards 13 race wins this season. Those two guys um, are on, sorry, 11 race wins this season. Those two guys are on, uh, are on Lewis's side, uh, sorry, on George's side this weekend. And that is um, a massive opportunity for him. What if we see an instance where George almost outperforms Valtteri? Will that break you guys even more? <laughs> I'll let Nate well, respond to that one. <laughs> yeah, because I know well, Valtteri look, I mean, broke Nate from like, what, the third race, I think, of this season? After he started on such a high, you were broken by the third race. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I was done. I mean, I, I, it's been a long time. Uh, I'd even say at middle of last year. But no, on a, on a serious note, though, I think in this example, in this case, you know, this is a this is a really big weekend for Valtteri. I know he's got the seat for next season, but just nothing's going to change. I don't think if, if Russell did beat him, it's not like I don't think Mercedes is going to like Lawrence said, they've got a winning formula there. They, they're not going to upset things by changing it. But just from the the perspective of you know Bottas's reputation, his stock in Formula One, and just his confidence as well. I mean, if you go into this weekend and whatever happens, he finishes behind Russell. Let's say. I mean, it's hard to see. It's one thing being beaten by Lewis Hamilton, who's a seven-time world champion. But if 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 a guy comes in and hasn't scored a point before, and then wins the race or beats you to second or third or whatever it is, that is huge. And I think it 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 would be horrible if that did happen because you know I think Bottas is already in a really kind of bad place in terms of his confidence and, and all of that that we've seen over you know time and time again. He's just not been performing at the level that he has reached occasionally. That seemed that that has become much rarer through this season. So I think it's worth it's a question worth ask worth asking. And let's not forget when Bottas does leave Mercedes, he's got to go and get a drive somewhere else. If assuming he stays in Formula One. And something like this, you know, I know that people don't necessarily judge you on one race, but you know, reputation is still a very big thing, and um, I don't wish ill on Bottas. And we joke that he's, you know, he's broken me this year, but he's still a very, very nice guy. You know, very talented guy as well. Let's not forget. I still think he's one of the better guys there in terms of talent. So I think for him, there is going to be more pressure on him actually than than Russell. I wonder if Lawrence thinks the same thing. But for Russell, it's just like, hey, this opportunity I didn't think I was going to get. Let's see what comes of it. But for Bottas now, everybody's like, well, this is your race to lose because you know the Mercedes should win this race. And Bottas now is the guy who's been driving it all year. So that pressure is going to be fascinating to actually see how it manifests on on that side of the garage. I'd agree. No one quite knows what George can achieve. And there's going to be so many caveats if if perhaps he doesn't perform up to where he would like to be and up to where we used to see in the Mercedes. Whereas, whereas Valtteri does have those expectations. But I think the way he will look at it and he 
I think is very good at managing himself mentally. I think the way he will look at it is that um, here's an opportunity to win a race, perhaps an easiest opportunity he's had all year to win a race. It's a track that should suit Mercedes and his biggest rival, the guy that so often has finished ahead of him, even when he's been within milliseconds in qualifying, uh, even when a puncture or something has decided the outcome of a race and Lewis has finished ahead. That guy isn't going to be there. So here's an opportunity for Valtteri to build that little bit of momentum towards the end of the year. Um, if he doesn't do it, I agree, it's it's going to be a knock um, for him in a kind of general reputation point of view. For Mercedes, as I said, they know absolutely what he can do. So it's about learning more what Russell can do and then comparing the two. And I don't think the outcome of the race, no matter which way it goes, will decide the future of these two drivers. It's it's a much bigger decision. But I think Mercedes are very realistically looking at George as an option for 2022. So um, if he can prove himself in this weekend, uh, then Valtteri is going to have to do something even more special over the course of next year, um, you know, potentially go and win the championship in order to keep himself with that team. But in reality, that's always been the case. You know, we we look at Valtteri's position. He's in a one-year contract. There's a reason Mercedes only gave him a one-year contract. It's because they want their options open at the end of next year. One of those options, or probably the top option, is George Russell anyway. So none of that has changed. It's just that uh, now Mercedes will get a real insight into what George can do. And uh, Valtteri, yeah, does have more pressure. You can't You can't get away from that. But I think if he approaches it correctly, this is a great opportunity for him to just notch up another race win this year. And I'm pretty sure that's the way he'll approach it. And let's be honest, he has everything in his favour for that. He knows his car inside out. Um, George doesn't. And uh, yeah, well, it'll be fascinating to watch. That's the great thing is that I, I'm not sure I've been this excited for a 2020 race since maybe the first race, you know, because it's looked so <laughs> not nailed on for Lewis for such a long time that uh, sometimes we've really had to work ourselves up going into races to find something to grasp onto. Whereas this is, you know, it's so so fascinating, isn't it? This rivalry and uh, this kind of comparison that we're going to see play out. This is why it's kind of a good advert for potentially in the future having guest drivers at some events. Mm-hmm. I know that's been a, a controversial subject because it would involve having a third car, but... You know, if you had the Formula 2 champion, if you win it early, you get to drive in the final race of F1. I mean, you would because this year um, it's not going to the final race. But yeah, it it is exciting, like Lawrence said. And I, 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 was, I was thinking earlier, I was like, it's wild when you look down the timing screen and you'll probably have, in some order at the top, it'd be like Bottas, Verstappen, Russell. And you're like, wait, what? what's what? Russell doing up there? And then down the <laughs> down the grid, you'll be like, you know, there'll be Aitken and there'll be Fittipaldi. Like Fittipaldi just being back as a name is quite funny as well. So yeah, yeah. Um, it's going to be a great weekend. I was going to say, I don't think I've been this excited to see, um, I suppose, a new name and see exactly what this means for everybody else. Uh, since I suppose all the, all the Nico Hulkenberg appearances that have been coming here on out, because even I, when I saw this happen, I'm, I, you can't fault me for my head going there too. And I said, could this be? But I guess before we move on to, to, to talk about Haas, um, were there any other contenders, I suppose, with George, or was this kind of just um, a given for Mercedes to go to George? So George was Mercedes' first choice, uh, which is quite clear from the way things panned out. But they did have an option in Stoffel van Dorn, their actual reserve driver, uh, who was always there as a fallback option. Um, obviously, with George, they had to negotiate with Williams. 
uh, they had to come to an agreement whereby he would come out of that contract. Because let's not forget for Williams, and we haven't yet mentioned Jack Aitken, who was replacing George at Williams, but let's not forget for them, George has been their shining light of this year. He's the guy that has put them in the second session of qualifying, uh, I think on nine occasions. He's the guy who is constantly outperforming the car, and he's the guy who came closest to scoring points. And at the moment, Williams still have zero points for the year. And if anyone was going to score them, it was going to be George Russell, you would have thought. I mean, Latifi's also got close through circumstance, but George is the one who's always been pushing it that little bit further. So it was a big ask of Williams to let him go. And we don't know the details of how that came about. We do know, of course, that Williams is an engine customer of Mercedes, and uh, we're not quite sure how that um, uh, that's going to develop in the future years. Perhaps there'll be more integration between Mercedes and Williams. So... Um, it was an interesting one that, that that was able to come about. But Stoffel was there. And you've got to feel for Stoffel van Dorn. Uh, anyone who's watched F1 for more than a couple of years will remember him from his McLaren days. His last race was in 2018. And he is the reserve driver. And when you get given the title of reserve driver, you expect to be the reserve driver. You expect to be the driver who steps in when one of the others can't race. Um, so he will be looking at his job title now and being like, what's that all about, guys? And kind of worse uh, in some respects. Um, he's also a Formula E driver for Mercedes, so let's not feel too sorry for him. He has a pretty cool day job. But um, he's travelling to Bahrain this weekend as well. So um, he, uh, he, he was actually due to travel no matter what. He was due to turn up in Bahrain just in case something happened. Um, so uh, that was always going to happen, but now he's going to have to turn up and watch George Russell leave the garage and think, ah, oh, that very nearly was me in a, um, you know, in a championship-winning car. Of course, Stoffel never really had the machinery to match his talent during his time at McLaren. So, um, yeah, that, that's, that's pretty gutting for him. And he also missed out on the racing point drive earlier this year. He was one of the lead candidates um, when, uh, when racing point drivers dropped out. But then Nico Hülkenberg was drafted in because... Racing Point thought he was a better option. And, you know, this is ultimately what it comes down to. This sport isn't about giving people, you know, opportunities and chances. It's about winning. And sometimes that means drivers can buy their way into seats. But when you're talking about one of the top seats or the top seat in Formula One, then it's always going to go to the most talented individual. And that's exactly how Mercedes has uh, approached this situation. Well, you know, as my mom always likes to say, what's for you is for you and no one else can take it away from you. And everyone knows that Mercedes seat eventually is for George Russell. So at least we get a little taste of that um, this weekend. But that, of course, does leave that hole at Williams. Jack Aitken, as Lawrence said, is going to come in um, to replace him and make his debut for this weekend's race. So, Nate, what, what do we know about um, Jack or what can you tell us, those of us that are, of our listeners that probably don't know that much about him? Yeah, so Jack Aitken, he's been around for a little while in the junior categories directly below Formula 1. So 2017, when George Russell won the GP3 title, Aitken was his teammate and finished second that year. And he's been in, uh, well, what was GP2 and is now Formula 2 for three seasons. This year he's 14th, so on paper doesn't look too great. And the thing with Aitken is that he's always, you get these flashes from him sometimes where he'll race really well, you know, he'll race hard and get good results, but... It's quite up and down, and often in the junior categories, if someone has been unremarkable for a few seasons, it tends to suggest that you know they're not at the front end of the kind of the the waiting line, I suppose, for a Formula One seat. But um, 
everyone who you talked to about Aitken, very positive. He used to work with the Renault team. He's moved to the Williams team this year for exactly this kind of opportunity um, to get himself a Formula One drive or a Formula One opportunity. Um, and yeah, it, I, he's, he's a very nice guy, first of all. I mean, I, I spoke to him this morning and said, you want to come onto the podcast next week? So hopefully we'll get him to, to talk about a debut. Um, Ooh, name but yeah, drop. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, you know. Nate, I, I just Nate, casually I, spoke to him this morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I didn't name drop a Formula One driver technically because he's not one until this weekend. But, but if I name drop again next week, then I'll then do that. Then he will be. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, so f- for him, it will be fascinating because it's, it's similar to the Hulkenberg situation that we mentioned earlier. And it'll be very different to the situation that Russell's going into where he's going from driving all year to a better car. For Aitken, it, it, it will still be a pretty difficult weekend and he'll be at the back of the grid, you know, at the, uh, you'd imagine. Um but yeah, so we'll see. And, and I, you can't begrudge a guy getting an opportunity like that. Um, and yeah, I just hope it goes well for him. I hope he you know, is able to get a full race under his under his belt. And who knows? As we've said, there's still no guarantees of what happens in Abu Dhabi. So it might be that he gets he gets kind of two shots at this. But um, yeah, I think he's a very popular guy in the junior categories. And um, I know he has... He, weirdly, Jack Aitken has a massive kind of Twitter following fan base. So maybe... <laughs> Maybe we should get on board that that hype train and start tweeting at Jack Aiken. Um But yeah, is, and, is and that obviously Lando comes Norris from. Level, though? <laughs> well, he might be Lando Light. I don't know. We maybe we need to get him on and see. But um, mm. yeah, for, you know, I, I hope he goes well. And um, I'm not sure from junior. You know, it's hard to work out from junior categories what what he can do. But Lawrence sometimes pays closer attention to that than I do on the on the Sunday mornings, especially. <laughs> so he might know. But um, but yeah, I'm excited to see what he does. Yeah, the, the one thing about um. Jack's junior career and recent junior career is that he's often been with teams that haven't been quite as well funded and quite, aren't quite as well resourced. And we're so used to this in Formula One that we all know that Antonio Giovinazzi in an Alfa Romeo isn't going to win. Kimi Räikkönen in an Alfa Romeo or, you know, Kevin Magnussen mm-hmm. in a Haas or George Russell in a Williams are not going to win the race. You know, we know that despite the talent of the driver because the car's not there. And there's actually a similar trait in F2. It's not quite as pronounced because all the cars are technically the same, but you do see it. So Jack's been at uh, Campos now for a few years. And uh, while they're quite a well-established team in junior categories, they've never been hugely competitive. And so um, I remember uh, I was very kindly invited to a lunch by his PR, um, I think a couple of years ago now. And, uh, and he was talking through it and how you know, how it does make a big difference and people don't necessarily appreciate it from the outside. Now, it all sounds a bit like racing driver excuses, but it is true. And this is a really good opportunity for him to come in and prove himself. And he's going up against Nicholas Latifi, of course, at Williams, the regular Williams driver, um, who beat him last year in F2, but arguably had a better team in F2. So that will be an interesting direct comparison as well, because Latifi hasn't been that convincing this year. And uh, whether Jack can come in and uh, perform immediately will, will be interesting. Uh, Leti- sorry, Jack um, completed a uh, Friday practice at the Styrian Grand Prix as well. So he has a little bit of knowledge of this car. Um, and he obviously works quite closely with Williams when he can, COVID allowing and all that kind of stuff this year, uh, to, to get to know the team. So I'm, I'm pretty uh, excited about it. The other really exciting thing is that um, this gives you an indication of what a normal nice guy is, is that he came go-karting with us during pre-season testing at the start of the year. And um, so I can now say that I've raced against a Formula One driver, which is, which is pretty cool. So I'm, I'm quite happy with that. And, and to show you the difference between me and Lawrence, 
I didn't go go-karting, but I did go for a beer with him and Chris Medland before oh, the start of the season. Ne- so that legend. sums up the difference in me and Lawrence. <laughs> is that Lawrence goes go-karting with these guys. And I was like, let's go for a burger and a beer. Oh, but, um, that's, yeah, that's, I, but he is very nice. That's my vibe. That's my, but you, you're known to do a bit of go-karting too, aren't you, Nate? Uh, yeah, I'm usually there when those guys are there, just at the back. <laughs> I've got a bit more ballast than those guys, so you know, I, success I get ballast, that's always my excuse, called, isn't it? Success ballast, yeah. So, um, but we haven't been back. I want to go back, no. like you know, as soon as we can. I mean, there, um, there is a story oh. about one time Nate went go karting. I think ahead of preseason testing. Yeah, ahead of preseason testing, and I'd um, I'd combine preseason test. We'll tell this story for the pod. You know, we'll have a quick, light-hearted interlude. Yeah. I'd been to Barcelona with some friends. I think it was a stag do or maybe a oh. friend's birthday in Barcelona. And it was heavy. That's all I'm going to say. It was very heavy. And we, I, I got the train from Barcelona to Granoyers to meet the other journalists there that were having this go-kart race. I think it was 2018. And they're quite fast go-karts, these two-stroke engine go-karts. It's the first time I'd been in one of them as well. And they absolutely throw you around. You hit the curbs and stuff. And um, I, <laughs> when we stopped, I just got out of the car and just threw up everywhere. <laughs> It became a it became a running thing, and I'd driven so badly, and I was just I was in absolute pieces. So um, I've I've not really ever lived that down. Oh, Luckily, I'm not sure you've been go karting since either. No, I don't think I have. I think it scarred me since then. So um, I don't think we had any F1 drivers or future F1 drivers with us then, because that would have been a hard one to <laughs> to have brushed off. But um, but yeah, little um little fun tidbit there for any listeners who who were interested. I'm not sure any of them were really. <laughs> Who so, wants to know sorry exactly if you weren't and you had to sit through of. that. Nate is made of <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's a lovely story, Nate. I think that's one to say for the grandkids as well. If they're off, yeah. <laughs> before your first grandson goes on his first stag duty to Barcelona, be like, well, you know, there was this one time back in yeah. my day. I was trying to do Back in accent. the day. Back in the day. That obviously failed. <laughs> but that was a brilliant. Now we have to go to Barcelona. And I think all of us need to have an ESPN F1 pod go cart off. I've never been in one mm. yeah. it's good fun there they're very very fast oh i can tell that's why I, when you told me that you know you hit the curve and then it just swings you around i was like oh goodness me i don't know if i'm ready for this but mm. we'll do this all right well i suppose we um spoke a lot there about mercedes and george but again because this is such an exciting opportunity and i think anyone that loves f1 and 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 admires george russell you know that this is definitely an opportunity although bittersweet because you know lewis hamilton obviously tested positive for coronavirus which is not good news but it is is one that we definitely have wanted to see him in and i guess we're getting a little taster for it but there is still also the matter of roman grosjean at haas um you know we're so happy that he's definitely out of the hospital so then all eyes fell onto who will take his seat and make their i suppose Haas debut and instead of um Instead of going the Mercedes route and looking elsewhere, at least Haas did go for their reserve driver. <laughs> In Pietro Fittipaldi, that's I mean, probably one of the coolest names to stay out there. And I mean, we know that he's got um, F1 royalty blood running through his veins as well, given that, you know, his grandfather is Emerson Fittipaldi. So good stuff there. Um, what can you guys tell us about him and about this? And again, the usual expectations, how you'd like to see him I guess, approach this kind of an opportunity that definitely comes once in a blue moon. Yeah, he's third generation Formula One driver. Um, So Emerson Fittipaldi, two-time world champion, is his grandfather. And he's the fourth of that family who's going to have started the Grand Prix, along with Wilson Fittipaldi and Christian Fittipaldi as well. So that's pretty impressive in itself. Um, Now, is, is he... 
you know, we, we didn't actually expect to see Pietro Fittipaldi make it to F1, if I'm completely honest. Um, he's been in that Haas test reserve driver role for um, a couple of years now and has done quite a lot of testing with that team. I'm pretty sure throughout last year, every time that Haas were testing on a track, he was in the car on one of the days at the test. Uh, so he's done over 2,000 kilometres of testing in a Haas Formula 1 car um, in his career, which is actually quite a lot for a driver going into their first race. So I'm not worried that he's underprepared, but um, he never really kind of got the momentum going through the junior ranks, the single-seater ranks, in the way that, you know, your kind of George Russells do and uh, your Max Verstappens and so on. So his uh, CV is actually really varied. He's got DTM, World Endurance Championship, Japanese Super Formula, Formula E. He was the World Series V8 3.5 champion um, about kind of five years ago, six years ago. That would have meant a huge amount. It was almost like being the GP2 champion, but that series has lost some of its kind of cachet recently but he's definitely got a lot of experience there and that ability to drive in different types of cars will suit him well in uh in in this weekend's race and Steiner was talking about it it's funny you mentioned that that they chose their reserve driver and um he was asked that question you know did you ever consider anyone else was anybody else on the radar and Steiner said well Pietro comes to us these races and he's not our mascot you know we don't just like bring him along for the fun of it we bring him along because he's got a job to do and he's got a responsibility. And so um, they sound like they pretty much directly went to him and said, look, you're in the car. Um, I guess the other side to that, if you're going to be cynical, is that uh, Haas is among the teams that has pay drivers. That reserve test role will be a pay role, uh, which means the driver brings cash. And if you don't then use them when the opportunity comes up, the amount that you're going to be able to charge next time round when you're looking to sell off that reserve role is probably going to be a little bit less. So, um, yeah, he, he's there. And uh, Haas, as all the teams have been this year, I've known that with COVID going on, there's always a chance that your driver won't be able to race at quite late notice. And so they've always had Pietro there as a, as a potential backup. So good luck to him. You know, I, I think it's a great opportunity. Again, expectations are low. You know, he's, he's at the back of the grid in a slow car anyway. So I, I think, you know, for him to get that experience there, and maybe make a bit of an impression, get some, you know, good good vibes going around his name in, in, in motorsport is, is a positive thing. What does this mean, um, if anything, for Kevin Magnussen or what do you anticipate um, there? I think it's it's kind of similar in a way, obviously with much less at stake than what we we're saying with Bottas in, in a way. You know, Magnussen is there against a guy who'll be coming in kind of cold. But, you know, when they're at the back of the grid like that, I think for Magnussen, you know, he's kind of in this in this weird position where he's, I saw a quote from him the other day where for him it's kind of like a farewell tour, you know, when you know you're leaving school. And I think he's just trying to savor as much of it as, as possible at this point because, you know, Haas really isn't in the running for, even for Q2 most weekends. And that's, I think that's quite demoralizing for, for drivers. So for Magnussen, I don't think it will actually change a huge amount. Um, I think he's kind of going through the motions. We know we know how quick Magnussen can be on his day. Um, and um, so I think he can still kind of get the best out of that that car. Um, if we're if we're expecting that Fittipaldi might struggle to get up to speed, I, you know, there's no no reason to think he, you know, he will struggle massively to get up to speed. But there's always that chance there when you're jumping in in cold. So um, I don't think it will change a huge amount for Kevin. 
Perfect. Well, I mean, just I suppose keeping in the the house vein, the one news that we were anticipating was that they were going to finally announce this week, specifically on this day, the drivers that will be taking over um, Magnussen and Grosjean's seats come next season. Granted, now it sounds like they've made three driver announcements, but we at least did get that announcement, and that's the one that we um, I did anticipate. So, what's the latest there, guys? Because I know we did. Um, anticipate who is going to be named and it will be tugging on heartstrings everywhere but now that the news is official hit me with it i didn't know you were such a big fan of nikita mazepin (laughs) (laughs) oh well now you know now you know i'm gonna go get i was gonna say jersey but probably get a helmet now put it in my background (laughs) so perhaps the name people are a little bit more familiar with is mick schumacher who Who? uh, yes exactly um (laughs) who is the son of seven-time world champion Michael Schumacher. Um, I think a lot of us have felt that he was going to make it to F1 in one way or another, and now it's confirmed that he will be uh, racing with Haas. The kind of background to that is that Haas have a very close relationship with Ferrari. They take their engines, their gearboxes, pretty much everything that they allow to share between teams, Haas uh, buys off Ferrari. So there's always been a close relationship there and um, Ferrari haven't actually had a driver placed at Haas since Esteban Gutierrez in 2016 but there's clearly an option there and they've taken it up and uh, and so Mick Schumacher as a member of the Ferrari Driver Academy will be racing on the grid next year for Haas which I think is a fantastic story and um, there's obviously a huge amount of expectation there's a huge amount of media attention that follows Mick everywhere but in my experience, um, we first kind of really started being able to kind of chat with him in press conferences and stuff last year. And in my experience, he is a really lovely young guy, uh, very down to earth and realises that he's in, uh, you know, he's, he's had a, a, a background that has allowed him to progress through the uh, through the junior series in a way that perhaps other drivers may not have been able to do. But he's also got talent as well. He won the F3 championship in uh, 2018. He spent a year in Formula 2 last year where things didn't quite go uh, as well as he planned, but he was against a very experienced field. And then this year he's come back um, and he's really excelled in the second half of this year. And he goes into this weekend, funny enough, up in Sakir at the same circuit that Formula 1 will be racing at with a very good chance of winning the Formula 2 championship. He's 14 points ahead of uh, Callum Mylot, who is also a Ferrari young driver, and there's 48 points left to play for. So it's not done and dusted, but um, I think it will be good in many ways that he's had a bit of the pressure lifted and now he can go and win an F2 title. And I don't think anyone can argue against the Formula 2 champion being given a shot in Formula 1. And even if he doesn't get it this weekend, Schumacher was definitely in the running to be a Formula 2 champion this year. So, um, yeah, great. Great news story, great name, and uh, a really kind of interesting story to follow. And that's the great thing from the mix side is that he has earned it on track. He hasn't just been given it because his name is Schumacher. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's what's nice about the story. And yeah, just to echo what Lawrence said, like I'm always amazed with him, just how kind of cool and collected he is all the time. I mean, even when he's done some of these show runs in his dad's old cars, he's been... He, he's kind of been the least emotional person there because everyone's always saying, oh, this is an amazing thing. And he's 
you know he's just very I, I don't know what it is he's just he just seems to take everything in his stride you know it obviously means a huge amount to him all the comparisons and all the things that people say about his dad but um i think that says a lot about his character so i'm fascinated to see how he does um and yeah i think everyone just wants him to to do well there's such affection for michael schumacher that why wouldn't you want his son to to be a huge success so it's it's a great thing for Haas as well if if you're looking at them as a team that they got they've got a Schumacher in the car. I mean that alone mm. is going to generate a huge amount of attention for that team next season. Um, and for all of, I know we have a load loads of American listeners. It's nice that he's driving for the American team. Um, so yeah, a lot a lot of things to be excited about with him. Oh man, I was getting emotional there thinking of everything going down <laughs> memory lane. It'll definitely be give you goosebumps to see if- the name Schumacher back in Formula One. If you want to get proper emotional, F1 oh, shared a video of Michael and Mick in 2000 at a go-kart track that um, I've actually been to. It's one of the Michael Schumacher go-kart tracks, and it's Michael with Mick, like a, like a baby Mick, basically just showing him a go-kart, and it's just adorable. And, um, you know, it's it's obviously Michael just before he won um, his third title, his first title with Ferrari, and um, it just kind of reminds you just how young some of these guys are because that doesn't... I, you know, I can remember watching that era of F1 <laughs> as a, you know, well nearly a teenager i think um you know and these guys are stepping into the car but yeah it's just a really sweet video if anyone wants to check that out it's on formula one uh, formula one's twitter feed and instagram i think like fine wine nate we just get better with age it's fine <laughs> but it is it is crazy when you see people being born in like 2000 i'm like what 2000 what anyways We'll move on now. And as we move on, we'll look ahead to the weekend. Um, We obviously spent so much time on the news there. But like I said, there was news coming out of everywhere and news that left our jaws on the floor. But it was pretty good to kind of talk about it and and get ourselves excited for what we're going to see this weekend. Guys, so what are you expecting considering same location, but obviously a lot of other things have changed around it. So what could this mean? Quick expectations before we get into our pit stop questions and eventually we'll get your predictions. Well, same location, but a different layout. So another reason to get excited about this weekend is that we're going to be racing on a very unusual track layout. Um, It's incredibly short. It's going to be incredibly fast. uh, And we're going to be talking about lap times in terms of 50 seconds or 53 or 54, 55. So, you know, in that era, not one minute something, 50 something seconds. So um, that's going to be uh, interesting to watch, not least because... um, the very mass of it, the less track you have, the more crowded it is. So much in the same way that Monaco gets in incredibly crowded, uh, this Bahrain outer circuit, which essentially leaves uh, turn four and rejoins at turn, I think it's 12, 13, anyway, right around the top. Um, and there's going to be a little few kind of apexes in between. Uh, it's going to be quite an interesting challenge. However, if you're going to put money on anyone, you're probably going to put it back on Mercedes again because it is a power track. Bahrain has always been a power track. Now that you've removed a lot of the infield, it's probably even more of a power track. So um, it will be interesting to see uh, just how well they go. But of course, within that, we have that great battle we were talking about earlier, Bottas v Russell. And then, you know, I'm never going to count out Max Verstappen. Uh, He was on the tail of Lewis Hamilton for a lot of last Sunday's race uh, even though he didn't quite have what it takes but that was Lewis Hamilton and Lewis Hamilton isn't in this race so potentially uh, I you know I could see Red Bull like looking to sneak a victory here looking at you know an opportunity to to add to their tally this year uh, because it's not been not been the easiest year for Red Bull compared to Mercedes they've struggled quite a lot to keep up 
Nathaniel, expectations for the weekend? Um, yeah, I think Lawrence covered it quite nicely. And I suppose for those guys making a one-off appearance like um, Fittipaldi and Aitken, this is probably one of the places you'd want to make your debut. Um, you know, I, I think in terms of, it's still a difficult track, but you'd rather be doing it here than a you know a street circuit or somewhere with a lot of twi- like you know high speed technical corners and stuff like that. I think probably one thing less thing to to worry about. Um, so that might I, I mean it might be a minor thing. Drivers probably don't even think about it. But that was my first thought this morning about the track that they're all um, racing at, and a lot of these guys have quite a bit of experience of Bahrain from. Um, junior categories anyway so I'm looking forward to it I was skeptical when everyone when this was announced I was kind of like everyone's talking about how quick the lap times were um, which you know I, I don't think either way that doesn't change much for me but the fact it's a new layout will mean it's something we haven't seen before and that is always quite fun so yeah it should be fun it should be good fun there's so much this weekend that's just been thrown into the mix you'd forget that the title's already been decided Right, perfect. So that's quick expectations. We're going to get your predictions soon. I just had to have a read over some of our pit stop questions. We didn't take crazy predictions this weekend, even though this probably would have been the perfect weekend for some crazy out there predictions as well, given all the movement that's been going on. But um, some very, very good questions this week, guys. So brace yourself. Also, there's about three that have to do with engines. So Lawrence, I'm looking at you, kid, because even looking at them and, and trying to read them out has given me a headache. But absolutely brilliant question. So props to all of our listeners and followers for sending these in. So let's start off with Mike. He and he asks, do you see Aston Martin as a contender for next year? I suppose for the title, along with Mercedes and Red Bull. No, not as a title contender, I wouldn't have thought. Um they're likely to be using um, an evolution of this year's car, which we know is an evolution of last year's Mercedes. So the lineage is good, but um, the FI have clamped down slightly on basically copying this year's Mercedes for next year. Uh, and even if they did, of course, they'd still be a step behind. So Racing Point have developed that car well. Of course, they'll be changed names to Aston Martin over the winter. Um, and I think, again, they will be looking to lead that midfield pack and be there when it when it kind of matters. But my other thought on racing points soon to become Aston Martin. As a very noisy motor. Are you in Bahrain? I wish I was. No, that was just a very noisy motorbike in central London. Um, so the uh, yeah the, the other thing about racing point now Aston Martin is that driver lineup. Um, you know. As understandable as it is to take on a four-time world champion as Sebastian Vettel, he's not been performing this year. Yes, he's got a little bit better in recent races, but I would much rather have Sergio Perez in my Formula 1 team if I was if I was choosing based on pure performance. So, you know, you've got to look at it slightly and think, are those the two drivers, Lance Stroll and Sebastian Vettel, who are going to get the most out of a car that may be snapping at podiums and even a win? Um, I mean, Vettel's got the experience, but has he got the right kind of mentality and the the right form at the moment and I'm not sure he does so sorry very long answer to what was probably no. meant to be a quick one but um, there you go that's my answer <laughs> I was wondering if you were actually at um, the track there Lawrence sneakily going off into Bahrain but it's okay he didn't he's he's here with us in London in the lovely grey London next so now I'm literally reading over these engine questions and I'll probably try to pick one probably the one that confuses me the most that way Lawrence can probably explain it the best so we're gonna go with DT Brandt and he asks <clears throat> let me get ready for this one would engine temperatures be too high for hydrogen F1 engines to not produce nitro oxides 
would it be possible to grow the plants needed for biofuel for Formula One on the circuits? Um, I don't know what I just asked you, but fair I'm gonna play. I'm gonna pass on that. I don't know enough about <laughs> hydrogen fuel cell cars. Um, it's I mean it's an interesting question in some regards. In that hydrogen fuel cells are clearly an option for mobility around the world going forward. Uh, you know, for road cars. So there's a possibility that F1 could choose that development path, but we're probably looking at like 2030. It already seems like the intended new engine regulations in 2025 will continue to be a hybrid uh, set of regulations. But to play to the second part of that question, they are looking at using synthetic fuels. So that's um, going to be a big step. It's going to be a big part of Formula One's uh, drive to become more environmentally friendly is to try and develop engines that run on synthetic fuels So, uh, and biofuels, you know, if, if you want to call them that. So that is um, a step forward. Uh, I, I imagine the way that those fuels are developed will probably be away from racetracks in laboratories, but you never know. I'm not going to rule it out because I don't know the answer. <laughs> Fair play. We'll get to another en engine question later on, but Nate's feeling lonely over there. So let's take another question here for Nate. And since Nate, just the other day in the podcast, we were talking about ways that we could probably change the structure of the competitions in Formula One. Um, here's one that kind of is along that same vein, Nate. So let me know what you think. This one's from Lucy Robinson. And she asks, do you think there should be stricter rules on who can be promoted from F2? For example, only the top three championship finishes to prevent seats being filled by those bringing in the most money. Fair. Well, there already is a system in place with the super license points, which I actually think is pretty fair. And, you know, we've seen most of the F2 champions of previous years have kind of have at least had a opportunity to come through um and the issue with that is if you did that to stop pay drivers what you'd get purely is that you'd get the the guys with the money paying lawrence mentioned them earlier paying for those f2 and f3 seats that can win those races and you know that's not that's happened in the past um you know there's there's guys on the f1 grid currently who had very very dominant f2 or f3 seasons or gp2 or gp3 seasons whatever um, because of the same thing. So I don't think it will stop pay drivers. You're always going to get those people in. Um, and the super license thing does mean that you have to have a certain level of experience to get in. So um, I think, you know, making it just so as those three people wouldn't really be fair. Um, I like what they have, what they have done um, currently to get people up. All right. Fair play. Um, here's another one. This one's probably for Lawrence, though, because it is another engine question. But just because um, it is a good one, I think, too. Like, I, I actually want to know, what is the best solution, you think, for a more simple power unit design that might interest more manufacturers to enter F1 and makes it, obviously, eventually more competitive? Yeah, that's been uh, a question that has been floating around Formula 1 pretty much since these power units were introduced in 2014. And... The problem F1 faces is having something that is relatively simple and affordable, but also something that is road relevant and pushing the boundaries of technology. Because as much as um, I'm sure lots of manufacturers would consider F1 a little bit more if, the, if it was cheaper to get involved, uh, the likes of Mercedes and Renault and Ferrari uh, all feel that they are producing, you know, the uh, or certainly when these regulations were introduced, they felt that they were the future of, of, of potentially road cars as well. I think the, the simple answer to the question, perhaps the most direct answer, is to strip away what we call the MGUH, which um, recovers 
heat energy from the turbo um, and is allows it to be redeployed through the battery. Uh, that has been one of the things that new manufacturers, well, there's only been one new man, manufacturer, Honda. That's the aspect they've really struggled with. The MG UK, which is more of a kind of standard hybrid system that you might find on a hybrid road car, is uh, perhaps a bit easier to get your head around and to develop. So I think what we'll see in the future is um, a new set of engine regulations, which are being talked about right now, um, coming in for 2025. Uh, originally it's 2026, but there seems to be a lot of uh, agreement to bring that forward to 2025 and look at how you can perhaps simplify uh, the engine, make it cheaper, but make sure it is relevant to future technologies. So there will continue to be a hybrid element, but also, again, to go back to the biofuel com conversation, synthetic fuel conversation, there'll be a shift towards that. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's absolutely being looked at and uh, hopefully we'll find out fairly soon. Mattia Bonotto, at uh, the last race weekend, said that if we're going to have new engine regulations by 2025, this was part of a wider uh, discussion I won't go into, but if we're going to have it by 2025, we really need to decide what those regulations are going to look like by next year. So could get a even better answer to that question within the next 12 months or so. And final question from Luis. He wants to know, with Luis out of the next race because of COVID, is Roscoe self-isolating as well? Um, since the championship is decided, do we really have a chance to probably see Roscoe drive and maybe get his first podium? I think Roscoe, he's an absolute unit, so I'm all for Roscoe on top of the podium. Following Lewis should definitely steps. take him up there. Lewis should oh, take him up there yes. one day. I feel like he deserves to be up there. 100%. Um, Maybe yeah. for the last one. But as for the rest of the question, I mean... I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, who knows? It's 2020. Gosh, might be a champion next year for a win. broken, Nate. <laughs> but I'm all for some more extra time with Roscoe. Um, now let's move into Nate's bold predictions, shall we? And guys, give us the bold predictions that you have. You definitely have a lot of material to come up with some bold, predi bold predictions. Gosh, I can't even get my balls and my balls right today. But And then after that, we will wrap things up. So mine is going to be um, something I guess we've teased at the start of the episode, but that Russell wins this weekend. I think it's it's still quite a bold thing to predict because he's going into that seat kind of cold, but I think we know enough about Russell to think that it's possible. So um, yeah, I'm going to put my neck on the line and say he wins. Um, and that would be, I mean, it would be a mega story for us to talk about. And um, yeah, I, I think it'd be great to see. It'd be great to see a new race winner. That's always a great thing. Um, and I don't think any of us thought that out of Albon, Norris and Russell, he'd be the first one to get his win either. So that would be also quite a nice thing from those kind of, that super class of rookies we had last year. It seemed like he was going to have to wait the longest potentially to, to have that chance and now he's got it. So yeah, um, I'm fully on board the George Russell hype train apparently. Lawrence? Um, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, I'm going to go for another George related uh, prediction, but I'm going to say that him and Albon, who they're very good friends and of course we saw so much of their time uh, in lockdown, spent together playing video games, have a collision, and we literally on track in reality see what happens so often in um, uh, in virtual reality over the lockdown, where George takes Alex out of the race, and then the internet is filled with memes. <laughs> 
All right, well, that's going to do it for us today. Obviously, it was a very packed show, but we had a whole heap of things to get through. We're going to head on out and see if we can have a bit more peaceful end of the week before we meet all again come this weekend for the next edition of this Formula One podcast. If you're in the USA, make sure you can catch the race on ESPN on Sunday, 12.10 Eastern time. So not at some ungodly hour of the morning. Hopefully you tune in and then listen out for our podcast as we look back on all the action and see if any of these bold predictions do indeed come true. Bye for now.